see here that this is a prayer of David, and he, he beginning in verse number one, a prayer when he was in the cave. Uh, when I was in Bible college, one of the professors uh, there at the school, they preached a message at the beginning of the semester, what David found in the cave. And then over, he proceeded the rest of that year, every message he preached, I think, you know, he only preached once a month or something, I don't know, but he preached five or six, seven messages that had to do with David in the cave. And it became kind of a joke around the school for the next, you know, it was like what David found in the cave, what he found under the cave, what he found around the cave, you know. We were all, so when I read this text uh, today, it brought that back to mind, those things that you just don't forget. But David was in a cave, and obviously that's not the place you go to hang out. It's not where you go to have fun. You'll see the spirit that David's in as we read this. He was in a time of turmoil in his life. He said, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and with my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, thou knowest my path and the way wherein I walk, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked to my right hand and beheld there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me, no man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord, I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. At 33, Michelle Lloyd was in the prime of her life. She had a fun and outgoing personality. Those that knew her or got to be around her at all said she was as friendly as can be and typically pretty chatty. She enjoyed her job immensely and spending time with colleagues after work on a regular basis. To the crowd, she was on top. She was doing just fine, only she wasn't. In 2018, the BBC launched the largest study on loneliness ever completed. Michelle was a participant. She said, I'm chatty, but that doesn't mean that I'm able to have those lasting, meaningful relationships with people. I would say I've always had an element of feeling lonely. If I'm in a group, I'll find myself saying things like, oh, I'm great. But it's almost like an out-of-body experience because in my heart and my mind, I'm saying, you couldn't even get out of bed yesterday. I'm so alone. Most people believe or feel that loneliness is an isolated event. It's something that maybe is relegated to the individuals who are older and uh, at that stage of life where they've had to say goodbye to loved ones and friends. But the fact of the matter is, is this study revealed that the largest percentage of lonely individuals is between 16 and 24 years old. Many deal with the feeling of being lonely. A.W. Tozer said, most of the world's greatest souls have been lonely souls. This evening, I would like to talk to you about this very needed topic. This is something that is very prevalent in our society today. Young and old alike, dealing with 
acute loneliness. It afflicts them. It grabs a hold of their heart. Keeps them from being able to enjoy their days. This evening, I want to speak to you for a few minutes on how to lick loneliness. How do you lick loneliness? Well, first of all, we need to just acknowledge the fact or observe the reality of loneliness. The psalmist here, David, said, I looked on my right hand, a man after God's own heart, found himself in a place where he was all alone, where he felt lonely. He said, in verse number four of our text, he said, I looked on my right hand and behold, there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Individuals, young and old alike, deal with this aspect of loneliness. It doesn't matter how many people are around them or how many friends they have by name, they feel alone. Neely Hathaway wrote, the pain of loneliness is universal. I believe that everybody at some point in their life deals with an aspect of loneliness. Whether, I want you to know first of all that it's recognized by society, our world knows that this is a problem. Whether they're young or old, Americans are feeling more isolated today, according to an article uh, recently produced. A survey by the AARP found one-third of their respondents over the age of 45 are lonely. And according to the American uh, Psychological Association, loneliness and its social isolation that it brings has similar effects on the body and on health as obesity and can lead to premature death. We saw this in a very great and direct way in 2020. How the isolation brought on by COVID caused so many uh, secondary mental aspects and people struggling with this loneliness. The number of statistics that I should share, could share with you tonight is staggering. One study found that 80% of all psychiatric patients said they sought help because of loneliness. Administrators of one of the largest hospitals in America cited loneliness as a major reason for overcrowding in their emergency rooms. The Parkland Hospital of Dallas, Texas, made this startling discovery as they were looking for ways to unclog their overburdened system. They analyzed the data and compiled a list of high utilizers. They identified 80 patients who went to four different emergency rooms 5,139 times during a 12-month period, costing the system over $14 million. Their conclusion was these people were simply lonely. And the emergency room offered care, somebody to talk to, somebody to show them concern. And so they continued to utilize themselves of that source of engagement. Let me just throw this out here. The church ought to be an emergency room. And people ought to find it in our world that's plagued with loneliness today, people that are wanting to go check into an emergency room because they want somebody to show their care and concern, they ought to say, boy, I want to get back to church because somebody at church cares for my soul. Somebody there has a concern for how my day went. Somebody wants to know how I'm feeling. Somebody is just concerned about me. Loneliness, beloved, is all around us. It, was rec- it is recognized by God all the way back in the garden. God designed and made us a particular way. But in the garden in Genesis 2.18, he says, And the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. God knew that men needed a partner. 
that it is God's plan. He designed us to have two very necessary components. We need, it is necessary for all of us to have communion with God. That is by design, there's a God-shaped hole in the heart of everybody that can't be filled any other way and people will deal with and be lonely as long as that's missing. But there's a secondary aspect that by design that God knew man needed companionship. Man needed uh, friends and fellowship and he has made us to be social beings where we interact with one another and it's by God's design and we're not meant to be isolated out in the middle of nowhere. We need companionship. Charles Charles Allen used to be a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia. In his book, The Quest for God's Power, he tells about a lady that used to call every night just before she went to bed that number, which I believe used to be 411, or one, you older for, just for the time, isn't it one, 411, isn't that a number for the time, time and temperature? You call time and temperature. She would call every night just before she went to sleep, 411, just so she could hear somebody's voice before she went to bed. That's an aspect of loneliness. We, we need companionship. We need fellowship with our fellow man. And beloved, I want you to know that although it is recognized by society and, uh, of course, uh, part of God's design and plan, I want you to know it's a reality. Loneliness is a reality in many Christians' lives. Isaiah 63, 3a says, I've trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. The prophet Isaiah said, hey, I'm doing this all by myself. And I look about and there's all these people that could be here, but nobody's here. Nobody's with me. A lot of times that loneliness is just a feeling of being separated, of tackling something all by yourself. Nobody else cares to participate or be involved in it. In Psalms 102, verse 6 and 7, he says, I am like the pelican of the wilderness. I'm like an owl of the desert. I watch. And I'm as a sparrow all alone upon the housetop. He describes himself as being in a place where it doesn't matter where he's at, out in the desert, out in the wilderness, or on a housetop, but wherever he's at, he's all alone. I don't know here tonight that might be dealing with that feeling of loneliness. It's a reality in the life of many Christians. This is not something that's isolated to the world. That's isolated to people that don't know God. Even God's people that love the Lord and have a walk with God and come to God's house on a regular basis, they can still feel loneliness that grabs a hold of their hearts. I've talked with people, members of this congregation, of our church, that have struggled greatly with loneliness. We see there's many in the Bible that deal with loneliness it seems as though many of the great prophets had days or hours or times when they were extremely lonely. I wonder how lonely Daniel felt when he was being lowered into the lion's den. We, of course, read about David many times in the Psalms describing his loneliness. You know, you look at David's life, he spent a lot of it alone. I mean, he was the king, and, and all, but it starts out, he was a boy, and where was he? He was out in the field alone. And from there on, he, he, he seems he's out running, running through the, the caves all alone. 
gathers a little group with them, and then they talked about killing them. David endured many times of great loneliness. We think about Paul in 2 Timothy, those familiar verses where he says, Do thy diligence, and come shortly unto me. He's writing to Timothy, saying, Hey, would you come and see me? Come shortly. I'm, I'm looking for a visitor, man. It's going to be nice to see you, Timothy. Would you come? And then that familiar verse in verse number 10 where he says, For Demas hath forsaken me. We read that and look at it and many times apply it to uh, our Christian life because Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world. But maybe we don't think about it from the aspect of Paul who felt forsaken. There Paul was in prison. And he's saying, hey, Timothy, would you come and visit me? Demas took off. Demas loved the world and the, the things of this world more than, than the cause of Christ and he doesn't even come and see me in jail anymore. Timothy, would you come by? Demas forsaken me. They've departed. Talks about Cyrenius to Galatia and Titus to Nemaltra. He says, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he's profitable for me to the ministry. Paul endured. I'm saying that even God's people at times deal with loneliness. So what is the reason for loneliness? What causes this? Why do people that otherwise you look at and say, well, it seems like they're on top. It seems like everything's going fine. Why, why would they be lonely? I mean, they have a family or they have a mom and dad or they've got children or, or they've got a church family. They've got a job. Why would they be enduring loneliness? Let me just say it's not necessarily because you're alone. There are times and hours where being alone can be good for you. Jesus often sought time alone. But one can be in a great crowd and still feel alone. There's a big difference between being lonely and being alone. Some people, they could be here in church, sitting next to somebody. And their heart's still gripped with loneliness because they feel they're going through whatever struggle they're enduring all alone. From the child sitting alone on a playground full of kids that feels alone. To the doctor who's in a hospital, many patients demanding his time and yet feels alone. To a mom with a baby on her hip and the demands of life on her heart, yet still feels lonely. Some of those who deal with loneliness the most are people in our biggest cities. They live amongst thousands of people. They stand in that massive throng of people during rush hour, and yet they feel all alone. There is nobody, as the psalmist said, that cares for their soul. Henry David Thoreau said, a city is a place where hundreds of people are alone together. What is the reason for loneliness? What causes loneliness? There's no way that I could do this topic justice there's no way I could address every aspect, but let me give you a couple of things why people feel lonely, even though they may have relationships, they may know people. 
but first of all, there's a lack of a stable relationship. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 11 says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. In my wife's theme verse, and if two lie together, they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? That's what, that's what Mary asked me. How can I keep this bed warm all by myself? <laughs> I said, get a heating blanket, amen? <laughs> wow. The idea of a stable, consistent relationship, somebody that knows you, walks with you, and understands you. Part of it is people move around a lot today. It's different society we live in. Michelle Lloyd, whom we began with in her own story, telling her own words, she said she lived in many different big cities. And she had friends all over the country. But what she meant is she had acquaintances all over the country. She had people that she could communicate via Facebook or text or something randomly. At, at, but no deep, meaningful relationships. You know, that childhood friend, that lifelong relationship, many times is missing today. There was a day when people were born in a community. They grew up in the community. They lived in that community. They worshipped in that community. They worked in that community and ultimately died in that community. And that built a lifelong, meaningful relationships with people around them that knew them and past and knew where they were at and all that in our very disconnected society today that's missing. We don't have those deep, meaningful relationships because the world is much smaller and we, we move around a lot and, you know, go here, go there. The inability to build and maintain good, meaningful relationships, it takes work and sometimes it's hard. But I'm going to be brutally blunt with you. A lot of times this is the individual's own fault. The one who feels so alone and so lonely and nobody cares for my soul, many times it's their own fault. Listen, if everyone around you stinks, it might be you that needs a shower. If you consistently through your life, you, you, you hear them talk about it, They'll talk about how at this job, they were there and things were okay, but then things got turned around and the boss did this and then somebody else did that and, oh, I'm just leaving that job. And then they go over here and this job, everything's okay for a little while, but then this happened and this happened and, and oh, I'm leaving that job. And then they go over here and this job and this job and, oh, that happened and, oh, this friend did this and, and did this and did this, so I'm not friends with them anymore, but now I'm friends with this person and then, oh, this person did this. You listen to their story. If you know them very long at all, you're going to see that pattern taking place. And what you need to understand is it's not everybody else it's you you've got to start you've got to fix the problem if you don't want to live and deal with and endure that that loneliness you have to learn how to build a relationship some people live so selfishly no one can stand to be around them too long our society today is very impersonal 
you're just a number today. There was a day when you'd go to the bank and the teller at the bank knew who you were. And the grocer knew who you were. The guy at the meat market knew who you were. Your mechanic down where you got your car fixed knew who you were. They know what car you're driving and how many miles you got on it. You have all those connections and relationships, but they're gone today. You go to the grocery store, nobody knows you. You're just another number. You're just another source of dollars for them. Those kind of things all contribute to the loneliness that people are enduring today. Lack of stable relationships can contribute to loneliness. Living through sorrow many times bring loneliness. Research has revealed that the experience most conducive or that brings about acute loneliness the most are those that have endured the loss of their life's partner. That deep connection. Somebody that just really knows you. They just know you. They know you on your good days and your bad days. They see you when you're weak and they see you when you're strong. They just have that knowledge and that deep, intimate relationship just can't be filled with somebody stopping by and dropping off some cookies. And that loneliness, that sorrow that people endure when they lose their dear loved one, the loss of that intimate relationship is understandable. All of their other relationships, although they're there, they feel shallow and almost meaningless in comparison to that relationship. And so they feel alone. When you survive and your loved one didn't, you go through many scenarios of pain in your heart and back and forth and wondering if you're even going to be able to make it yourself. It's vital that these individuals have a good support system, that they have people that express and show their love and concern. Job, we know what he went through. Job said, my kinsfolk have failed, and my familiar friends have forgotten me. They that dwell in my house and my maids count me for a stranger. He said, all those people that dwell with me, that knew me, it's basically like I'm a stranger. I'm an alien in their sight. I think Job felt pretty alone. Even though those people are around, even though there's other people there with him, maybe servants, maybe people he was working with, and he's like, it's like, it's like I'm an alien to them. They don't even know me. They don't know who I am. They don't know what I'm enduring. They don't know what I'm going through. And... You may be a college student in here and you feel that loneliness. You're running through classes. You're doing all your responsibilities. You're engaging with people at different levels. But in your heart, you just feel like you're alone. Like you don't have that deep abiding connection. No one cares what you're going through. No one understands what you're enduring. Not only is maybe a lack of stable relationships or living through sorrow, but also lingering sin causes loneliness. 
Can I ask you tonight, what does sin do to the believer? Sin separates. Sin even can separate these relationships. But we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that sin separates this relationship. And there's two needs that the heart of man has. Communion with God and companionship with others. And that communion with God is broken when there's sin. It's broken. Your iniquities have separated you between you and your God. There is no question. That sin separates. And when that sin is present in our life, when that lingering sin that is undealt with separates you from God, how can you feel anything but alone? One of the greatest sins that adds to loneliness more than any other is the sin of selfishness. Dr. F.B. Meyer once said, many people complain of loneliness and solitary lives. They account for their condition by supposing it to be due to the failures of other people. It is, however, attributable to the fact that they have never fallen to the ground to die, but have always consulted their own ease and their own well-being. They have never learned that the cure of loneliness comes from sowing oneself in a grave and daily sacrifice. You see what he's talking about is what Christ said in John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, verse number 23, he says, And Jesus answering them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. So he's saying the time has come. He's about to go to the cross. This is what's going to happen. And he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall unto the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. You see, many have lives without any meaning at all. They're empty. They're meaningless. They feel they're all alone, and they can attribute that to other people and how other people respond to them, and people just don't understand me, and people don't see me, people don't see where I am. You know, you, you can, I, I can't tell you the volume of stories that I read and illustrations and counseling books on loneliness and preparation for this. And over and over and over again, it was people describing, well, I could be in a crowd, but nobody sees me. I'm all alone wherever I am. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody sees where I'm at. Nobody knows what I, it's all about them. It is all about selfishness. It's all about other people are supposed to somehow meet their need for meaning in life. But what they've lost of the scope of is God said those that would save their life lose it. But those that would lose their life save it into life eternal. Being willing to sow your life for somebody else. Herein is the first remedy for loneliness. We need to die to self. 
As long as you're looking in life for other people to fill that void, you know, you, you get the, one of the biggest problems in relationships with husbands and wives is, is that they're, they're both like two blood-sucking ticks trying to get all they can out of their mate. And they've sucked the life right out of their marriage. Because that's not what marriage is. If you enter marriage thinking he's going to make me happy, he's going to fulfill me, he's going to meet all my needs, he is the one that's going to do all this, and she enters that, your marriage is not going to last. Because love must give. That's what love does. Jesus Christ, the greatest example of love that there ever was, he gave. And your love for your mate causes you not to look at all of what you can get, but looking at what you can give. How can I meet her needs? How can I help her? How can I be a blessing to her? How can I make her happy? How can I supply for her? And that, in turn, when he has that spirit and then she has that spirit, the relationship grows together and stronger. And it, it, it's self-motivating and self-progressing. Uh, it gets better and better and better. The problem is when people live their life looking for whether it's people at work or their friends or people at church and they're saying, well, they're just not meeting my needs. They're looking at backwards. They're trying to get whatever they can every time they come through the doors and the church has to supply and supply and supply. And listen, we've talked about it before and it's not the road we're going down to tonight. I mentioned it at the beginning. People come to church. This ought to be an, an ER. We ought to be there to help people. And when people can't stand up, we help them stand up. When people can't walk, we help them walk. And we be there to be that strength and that arm to help them through that hour of need. But listen, there's got to come a time where you're the one helping somebody else. That's where the joy comes from. That's where the satisfaction comes from. That's where you get to the place where you stop thinking about yourself. The remedy for loneliness, beloved, is to relinquish your rights. To let go. Except a corn of wheat fall to the ground and die. It abideth alone. It abideth alone. Understand, beloved, that the grain of wheat can never be fruitful until it's cast down. It can choose to abide alone and look for other, other people to try and meet that need in their life. But if they would die to self, they'll be reborn fruitful and no longer alone. Let go of this worldly me-first mentality. Let go of the aspect of take care of yourself first because nobody else will. I know if you've talked to very many people at all, you've heard that. Take care of yourself first. Nobody else is going to do it. That kind of person is never satisfied. That desperate, demanding, possessive friend is always in search of a friend. For some reason, they just have a hard time holding on to them. We need to relinquish our rights. What's the remedy for loneliness? Relinquish your rights. Start to live for other people. And see if that lonely part in your heart is not filled. You need to renew your relationships. Renew your relationship first with God. In verse number 26 of John chapter number 12. We just, we were reading John chapter 12, 23 through 25. We was talking about the 
corn being cast down, that wheat bringing life. In verse number 26, he says, If any man serve him, serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. He's where I am, there shall also my servant be. You see, beloved, if we would just follow him, we would be where Jesus is. He would be with us. We would have that sweet communion that we desire to have with our Lord. Just start to sincerely follow him and you will find yourself in his presence in a deep, meaningful way. Where he's filling that void. The Lord speaks to us in these hours and he said things like, be still and know that I am God. He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He says, he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You see, beloved, your hour of loneliness can drive you away from God or it can drive you to God. If we would follow him, we would find ourselves in his presence. Renew your relationship with God. Are you struggling with loneliness? Has sin separated you between you and your God? Renew that relationship. Think about the amazing things that God has promised you. In Psalms 27, verse number 10, he says, When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Even when every, even the most important relationship you have here on earth, if your own mother and father would, would to walk away from you and disown you and not have anything to do with you, the Bible says that your heavenly father would take you up. You can know that kind of communion with God. And that is necessary for the heart of the believer. We need that communion. So maybe you need to renew your relationship with God tonight. We also see in this text that if you serve him, the Father will honor you. He says, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. What he means here by honor in context is providing you with a meaningful life. With a fruitful life. With a life that has substance. Start serving him and you'll find your life has whole new meaning. It has meaning that it didn't have before. Meaning, productive, fulfilling life. Some people just need to start putting work into making a life instead of making a living. You need to renew your relationship with God. Also, maybe you need to renew your relationship with others. Don't demand of them. It's not, you're not looking to get all you can out of them and have them fill and meet this void in your heart because you're lonely. Stop thinking about yourself. If a man, what does the Bible say? A man that hath friends must what? So you just start being a friend. You just be a friend. You be a friend, be a friend. And you'll renew those relationships. Those relationships will start to be even more 
and more precious. A renowned psychiatrist, Carl Minger, was asked, what should a lonely, unhappy person do? He said he should lock the door behind him, go across the street and find someone who's hurting and help them. That's 101. That's the beginning. I know sometimes in your pain you feel like, oh, I can't, I can't do anything but take care of myself. Once you know that's the devil. That's the devil locking you up in a cocoon of your own making. And it gets worse and worse and worse. I'm so alone. I can't do anything. I can't go out. I can't be around people. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just going to sit here, wrap myself up in my own cocoon. And what do you think that generates? More loneliness which adds to the pain and the suffering. More loneliness and more loneliness. It's, it's self-propagating. It creates his own problems. If you'd stop focusing on yourself and start to look for renewed appreciation of the friends that you do have, you need to refuse to give in to self-pity. Normal message for me, you guys know, is about eight pages of notes. At 14 pages, I had to stop studying and started cutting stuff out. I had a whole page and a half on self-pity. Listen, this, this could be a message in and of itself. Self-pity is a problem. You know, we, we, we talk to little kids about it and say, stop feeling sorry for yourself. Get up and go play with the other kids. You know, I've met a whole lot of adults I'd like to say that to. Because they're just sitting around in self-pity. Oh, wait, wait, wait. My life is so hard. It's just it's difficult. I don't have anything. And, and there's nothing I could do. And Let me ask you something. What, in all the hours of self-pity that you've invested, what profitable thing have you gained? Nothing. All it has done is fed that selfish spirit. All it has done is continue to lock you up. All it has done is continue to keep you tied up in that place. You have to use the power of your mind and the power of the Holy Spirit to say, I'm not going to give in to that self-pity. When you start seeing your mind head down that way, and boy, we like it, just like the little kid who falls and hurts himself, he's fine until mom looks and she's like, oh, 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 are you okay? And she comes over and then all of a sudden, oh, 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 oh. he's dying. If mom wouldn't have even seen him, he would have got up and went, ran and played. But he likes the attention. And we like the attention. We like the feeling. And so we, we, we nurture it. And we need to see it in ourselves and say, Lord, 
Help me not to give in to self-pity. Help me to guard against that. And don't let Satan stick that in my heart and mind because you are still on the throne and you are still in control. And I know that nothing's come into my life except it was allowed by your hand and it's for my good and for your glory. So God, help me through this. Help me glorify you today. Help me to be on top even though I feel like being underneath. And God will help you. But if you give in to that self-pity, it'll just put you back down there, put you back down, put you back down. You have to guard against that self-pity. Refuse to give in to it. That sin of selfishness and self-pity, it will only exacerbate the problem. You think about Elijah when he was having his pity party in 1 Kings chapter 19. You know, he just had that great victory on Mount Carmel. Just experience God's power in a way that man has, has very few men have ever experienced. He saw God consume that sacrifice. And then, of course, Jezebel says, uh, <clears throat> that man, I want his head on a platter. And so Elisha ran and hid under the juniper tree. And in 1 Kings 19.10, he says, I, even I only, am left. It's like, it's just me. Woe is me. And Jezebel wants my head. And God comes to him and says, what are you doing here? He's saying, why are you sitting here under a juniper tree feeling sorry for yourself? I've given you a mission. I've given you a job. I protected you in front of those 450 prophets of Baal. You think I can't handle Jezebel? You got to get up and go. When you find yourself wallowing in self-pity, ask God to help you get up and go. Beloved, you and I can be just like Christ, no matter where we are, even if we are all alone in the backwoods of somewhere and there's nobody else there or we're in a church service with a thousand people. In John 16, 32, he says, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and he shall leave me alone. And yet, I am not alone because the Father is with me. Jesus said that the time's going to come. Everybody else is going to go. Every one of you are going to leave me alone. He's like, but you know what? I'm not alone because the Father is with me. When you renew your relationship with God, you have that close communion with him. Renew your relationship with others and you'll have that companionship that the heart longs for. In the book, God's Power to be Triumphant, there's a story told about a lady named Helen. In her testimony, she describes her life as being one that was sheltered, a little bit pampered being the youngest of five children. She never really knew what it was to be alone, for there was always somebody in the house. There was always somebody to play with. There was always somebody to make food. There was always somebody to go out in the yard with. They played together. They sang together. They worshiped together. But she found herself at a time in her life when her parents, her brother, and her three sisters were all taken from her.
the last two dying exactly one month apart, she suddenly found herself heading home to an empty house. She actually had no idea where the key was, for there had always been somebody to let her in, and now there was no one. For a few weeks, her niece stayed with her, but the time came when her niece had to leave, and she drove her to the airport and dropped her off. She went home, and for the longest time, she sat in her driveway looking at the empty house, dreading to walk through those doors where there was no one. Finally, she steeled herself, got out of the car, and took those painful steps towards that front door. She walked into that house all alone. As she walked up her own steps, she prayed, God, help me. As was her custom, she walked into her room and set down her keys, but she turned and clicked the radio on, trying to add some life into this silent space. She walked into her closet to hang up her coat and over the radio, she heard, no, never alone, no, never alone, he promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone, no, never alone, no, never alone. It was the old-fashioned revival hour quartet singing she said to me it was the very voice of God answering the cry of his child's heart realizing that I was not alone for that moment he was with me beloved he's the source 